This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It might not be the feminist sports podcast you want, but it's the feminist sports podcast you need. This week's panel is Jessica Luther, independent writer, general slayer, and author of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, College Football and the Politics of Rape. She's in Austin, Texas. And I'm Shereen Ahmed, a freelance sports writer, cat lover in Toronto, Canada. It's just Jessica and I this week, and we're excited to get started. On this week's show, we'll be discussing white supremacy, the NHL, and how protests are continued to ripple through the movement. Lindsay interviews Kelsey Bone, and we will be discussing athlete efforts to campaign to raise funds for the tragedies post-storm in the Caribbean. Let's get started. This week, we've seen NHL players come forward and admit that they're going to the White House for the Stanley Cup celebration. I actually wrote an article for Vice this past week detailing the ups and downs of what happened after the Pens released a statement, Pittsburgh Penguins released a statement, in fact, declaring that they were going, and then Sidney Crosby stating that going to the White House was an honor. Now, I've ranted and raved quite a bit about there's nothing honorable about the White House under the current administration or even Donald Trump. But this sort of blew up into something else, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Immediately, the pens were pushed back but with former NHLer and former Penguin, Georges Larac, and he calls out their decision. We've seen other hockey players, and let's keep in mind there's less than 30 hockey players who are Black in the NHL currently, and a few of them actually spoke out. I wanted to get a little bit into this and talk, Jess, about the unraveling of sort of the discussion around how to protest and why to protest and the conflation of what is being protested, particularly in a very, very white space like the NHL. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was struck by the stat, like you just said, that there are only less than 30 black NHL players and there's 700 NHL players. So to think about like what's going on in the NHL versus, you know, the NFL or the NBA, where we've seen a lot of vocal players and a lot of protesting, you know, those are the players are predominantly black men in those two leagues. And so this is a totally different dynamic. It reminds me of what's going on in Major League Baseball. We finally had our very first protest in Major League Baseball with Bruce Maxwell. You know, that's been we're deep in the MLB season here before we got anything. And again, you can't deny that, you know, the racial makeup of these leagues is playing a huge role in people's ability to speak out. It's 
really hard to be the only one. I think it was Devontae Smith-Pelly. He is a Washington Capitol, and he was in an article that Bruce Arthur, Arthur wrote this week about all of this. And he talked about being the lone black player on an NHL team. And he said, yeah, there's a little bit of a lonely feeling. I mean, all of us are on our teams by ourselves. There's not two of us together or three of us together. So if one of us were to do this and nobody else on the team jumped in, you're really by yourself. And I think just even trying to imagine what that would be like, I don't know. And to, to do it on the at that platform within that conservative league, I don't know. I don't have anything brilliant to say about it. I just am struck by like what that would what this conversation means in the NHL versus in some in the, in the other leagues where we're seeing it. And I think too that there have been players like JT Brown of the Tampa Bay Lightning who has sort of mobilized and tried to hit and spoke out and said that he hasn't yet, but he's not ruling it off. And then what ended up happening is Joel Ward, and I, you know, I found this out just yesterday, released a statement on Thursday saying that he would actually not be kneeling at all. And, you know, he was supported. And before this, I was a bit salty because Don Cherry, who is known to be an incredibly sexist and racist, irritating figure in Canadian hockey with these absurdly loud, and I'm okay with loud clothes, like I'm fine with that. I'm not one to criticize what people wear, obviously. But this guy's just, he's, you know, oh my goodness, he's just insufferable as fuck. And he comes out and he's giving Joel Ward basic instructions on how to protest and what he should be doing. And this privileged white man with this history of obnoxiousness is telling, like you said, the only black player on that team, what he should be doing is just, I found was so frustrated about it. And I think I've raged sufficiently this week. Well, I don't know. I don't know if there's ever enough rage to lash out about racism in the NHL. And I mean, Bruce Arthur's piece was harrowing in some regards in the way that he described, but that also gets to the next point, which I'm always going to say that it was, an article written by a white man about the loneliness of black hockey players. So the irony of a white man writing about the loneliness of people of color in white spaces was actually funny to me. I thought it was incredibly ironic yeah. that he was writing about this. I'm like, really? There was really no black writer or a person of color that they could give this to? This had to come off his desk. So, you know, I'm forever salty about that situation. Well, I mean, like, as we've talked about repeatedly, there's nothing... There's really almost no space wider than sports media. So it's, like, of course, not surprising <laughs> to see it. But, yeah, I don't know. It's this idea. I'm so – I'm just so over so much of this. I feel like that's probably true for so many of us at this point. But this idea of, like, telling anyone how to protest and, like, what makes an effective protest and, like, when to do it and how to do it right. I mean, I know, like, much smarter people, you know, people who actually do this work – are in the streets doing this stuff, you know, much smarter than me on this. Like, the point isn't to make you comfortable. Like, everyone wants this to be, like, a comfortable conversation. They want to link arms and during the anthem. They want to stay in the locker room so they don't have to show any divisiveness. Like, it's not supposed to make you feel better. Like, you are supposed to feel bad or not necessarily bad, but yes. uncomfortable when yeah. you see this stuff. It's supposed to make you question basic ideas that you don't want to question. That's the entire point. So this idea of, like, if you just did it the right way, then I would consider 
what racism means in your life and the life and death issues around how racism plays out for people of color within America, even though, you know, there's been this discussion of like, should Canadian players care about this, which like Canada's got its own shit. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. I just, I wore hijab because I would have pulled all my hair out this week hearing that vacuous argument. And particularly because I wrote about this, like I said, for the vice. That's a great piece, piece. by the way, everybody. Thank you. But I was, People were like, you don't know. I'm like, I'm Canadian. I'm also from the exact same place that Sidney Crosby is. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I it's also that I was so frustrated because he comes from Cole Harbor, which is absolutely has been dealing with racial tension at the high school level. This isn't even these are kids that are out there so frustrated with the inequality, the racial injustice that they were writing in schools. And he knows this. He's from there. So to be like, oh, I don't, doesn't affect us. And this is the other thing. JT Brown, actually, I believe it was him that came out and said that it, it doesn't matter. I don't think it was JT Brown, actually. I think it was, like you said, Smith Pally, who said that it's, yeah, it's he did. Actually, not about, yeah, it's not about Canadian versus American. It's not like that. And it's not like white supremacy doesn't lend a hand. The American version doesn't help out in Canada. I mean, they're all inextricably linked to these systems and these organizations, these what I call terrorist organizations. So it's, and, and getting back to your point about discomfort, this is a PSA for all white people. Protests about racial injustice are not meant to make you feel happy yeah they're just not so like if, the I don't know so I've just been like listening to that conversation of like this is how you should do it and that I'm over the other thing I'm over is the idea that this is disrespectful to the military <laughs> where I think it was think progress just had a piece where they just interviewed a bunch of members of the military about how this isn't disrespectful to them I, it's just such a that's such a perverted reading of both the act of kneeling to begin with, which is often a, a very sacred thing that people do. It's very honorable a lot of the time, but also mm-hmm. just a perverted idea of like what the national anthem represents in this in, in the US and and it's about rights and equality in theory. And the point of the kneeling is to draw attention to the fact that it doesn't operate like that in, in the real world. I don't know. I'm just I'm so tired. Of so much of this. And so, like, in Houston, which is, you know, not too far from here, two high school players who, one of them, their cousins, one of them raised his fist during the national anthem, another one knelt. They were both immediately, as soon as the anthem ended, their head coach instructed them to take off their uniforms and then kick them off the team because oh because God. he's a veteran and they were disrespecting him and the military and he wasn't going to stand for it. And, of course... <laughs> Of course, there are two black guys doing this. And I don't know, like, what is happening here that, like, this is where we are, that, like, high school students are being punished now for for this. And and it's all just based around this perverted idea of, like, what the national anthem is and what the protest itself is for. And Mm -hmm. the NFL is not helping. They are diluting it with this unity shit Mm -hmm. that they're doing. I don't know. I... You know, and I just want to go back to one thing really quickly where we talk about like, yes, you know, this is so much about the United States and it's gotten, you know, people want to talk about Trump. No one actually wants to talk about Trump, but like they want to make this somehow about Trump and conservatism and da 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 da. But like, 
you do have players from other places in the world who are in, you know, that's a weird position, I would say, to be in if you're dealing with, like, the U.S. government and the national anthem. At the same time, the things that led to Donald Trump being elected in this country are playing out in other parts of the world right now, right? Germany just had an election and the horrifically xenophobic and racist organization, the AFD, got a huge, like they were the third most votes in that election in a a terrifying way, in a terrifying way. And we're seeing it, of course, we saw it in England. We saw Marie Le Pen in France. Like, I'm sure that there are plenty of other examples. So like the idea that this is just about this one space and like we talked about white supremacy is (laughs) everywhere. I don't know. It just, it's, it's gotten so hard to take it all in and just the distortion of all of it. I just wanted to add two things to what you're saying about the whitewashing and the co-opting of the message. And we're big fans of Professor Lou Moore on this podcast. And he actually wrote a piece for the Vox about exactly that, the whitewashing. And we'll link it to the show. And it said the piece is called the NFL has officially whitewashed Kaepernick's protest. And that's that's what it is. I didn't realize. Yeah. And also getting back to the fact that this week we should also link this because Eric Reed of the San Francisco 49ers, he wrote what I thought was one of the most compelling pieces of, of, of sports writing I've seen this year. He wrote specifically why he joined Cap in the movement to kneel and why they chose that specific gesture. And then right away you had people saying, well, they don't even explain what they're doing and why. And you're like, yes, do you not? Can you not read? The they have said, they've Times. explained it so many times. Like at, at this point, they're not like, listening. That okay. is like purposeful <laughs> ignorance at this point in a way that makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And no, no. And I think it's, it's important. Yeah, we could just rant about this. I, I just feel you. And, and I'm sorry you're coming back from vacay and having to jump right into this bullshit. But, you know, something that Lewis Moore wrote and was really – like it was really, really important. The whole thing was important, but that really struck me. He said, the truth of Kaepernick's protest, and I'm reading now, drew the ire of white fans. And for two minutes, they had to confront systemic racism and police mm. brutality, something most fans don't want to acknowledge, especially during a football game. And in short, Kaepernick took a page from Bill Russell's Activist Athlete Playbook As Russell noted in 1964, we have got to make the white population uncomfortable because that is the only way to get their attention. Mm. And so I think that's pretty, it's it's pretty, it's important. And it's really, 1964, I mean, this is a long time ago and we're still doing the same thing here. And I just, we both wanted to add this, that our co-host, Lindsay, who's off this week, Lindsay Gibbs, at Think Progress has done this absolutely incredible thing that I'm in love with. (laughs) She's done. And like, we just love your work, Lindsay. It's been amazing. And about a database tracking the Kaepernick effect all over the United States. And I believe there's one or two in Canada. I'm not sure. I have to check that. But about the way... It's four countries. So they've tracked more than 200 protests Mm -hmm. in 41 states and four countries. Not amazing. Yeah, and it's so it's incredible because it goes all the way down to middle school. So it's not just professional level athletes. We're talking about students. We're talking about kids who are doing this because it matters. And it's not difficult 
for kids to understand what's happening and having these conversations with your kids about it. This is not something they can avoid and grow up and pretend like they can, you know, like you said, purposeful ignorance. It's not what if we want sincere change. And getting back to our, you know, we'll just finish off on this, the idea that in the NHL, they don't have to, people don't talk about things that they don't actually struggle with. So the idea is maybe most NHL players have never had to deal with systemic, systemic oppression, so they don't acknowledge it. It would have been nice for me to see, in addition to the players that are being asked, like P.K. Subin came out and said that he wouldn't kneel, but he's also, like you mentioned, the only black player on the Nashville Predators. Why didn't anybody ask Mike Fisher? Why didn't anybody mm-hmm. ask somebody else? How come they're always pointing to black players instead of asking other players what they think to put them on the spot and make them uncomfortable. And these are conversations that need to be had and sports media needs to do better by pressing people, all people, if we really want change. Next is Lindsay's interview with Kelsey. All right. Hello, everyone. I am here with Kelsey Bone. Uh, former WNBA All-Star, 2015 Most Improved Player, uh, fifth fifth overall pick, I believe, in the, was it 2013 draft, Kelsey? Is that- that's correct. Okay. I wrote 2015 in my notes, and that's definitely not right, <laughs> so I have to check. Kelsey was also one of the first, if not the first, I believe, WNBA player last year to actually take a knee and kneel during the National Anthem. Uh, Kelsey, I just wanted to take you back to last summer. Midsummer, you got traded from Connecticut to Phoenix. And I believe right around that time was when there were two really high-profile police shootings and players in the WNBA began wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. What was that time like for you? And, and what conversations were you having in the Phoenix locker room with your new teammates? Um, well, it was a very, very interesting time for me because you walk into... A team such as the Phoenix Mercury, uh, you have all these great players. Um, you have this great tradition. Um, you know, this is an organi- one of the original organizations, one of, you know, the organization. There's all this greatness that you're surrounded by, and then real life happens. And while you're trying to fit in into all this greatness, things that really mean something to you and things that really matter you kind of have to speak up. I have a, a younger brother who's 16. My brother is today, um, he's 6'6". Six, six. And I remember the the shooting of Terrence Crutcher um, yeah. in Oklahoma. And I remember those cops sitting in the helicopter looking down and saying, oh, whoa, that's a big bad dude. And I remember thinking, how how do you know that? It, it, it's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm I'm having I'm back in that moment and um, y- you talk about a big bad dude and, and and you talk about what does that look like you know my my father is six five my stepdad six three my brother six six I have two uncles that are six seven and six eight um, I mean I'm I'm six four myself so so what what makes you big and bad and then I fast forward to this summer and I get a phone call from my mother that she's, my brother's called her from the mall to come pick him up because he's been apprehended for shoplifting. Oh my God. Now, if you know my brother, 
that's how you respond. That's how you respond. I literally just landed back in Las Vegas. I just flown from Houston back to Las Vegas when I got this phone call and the the emotion that I felt in, in, in getting that phone call, what could I do? I was I was stuck. My brother's a, a junior in high school. He just turned sixteen. He he has a three point eight GPA, varsity basketball player, um, number seven ranked kid in the city. He was racially profiled in Saks Fifth Avenue. Why did I kneel? Why? What was going through my head when I kneeled? I didn't care about who was going to be the president. I didn't care about who felt what. I cared about Donovan Kennedy Williams. I cared about the little boy that is my little brother. Because I felt that in my heart that it could it, it is that easy for it to be my brother and a year later it was my brother now luckily we my mom is savvy enough and my mom works for the school district and she, she can go and get a lawyer and she can go and get my brother out of this situation and if i never had this conversation on your podcast no one would ever know that this happened to my brother right. because my mom is that good but everybody's mom is not yeah Khalif Browder's mom couldn't go just get him a lawyer. She couldn't get her son off of Rikers Island. And it killed the both of them. Everybody's not privy to to the things that I'm privy to. So I kneeled for the people who who don't have anyone speaking for them. I kneeled. Colin Kaepernick was right. We need to talk about this. Right. How do we tell these black men how to live and how to thrive and how to become successful parts of society if all we do is show them images of them being gunned down, no matter if you're right, no matter if you're wrong, no matter if you're good, no matter if you're bad, you're all susceptible to the same thing, death. Did you talk with your teammates about it before you took a knee? I know that you guys had obviously had, there had to have been some sort of conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement earlier in the summer. Is that correct? When you wore the shirts? Yes. Yes. How did that go? I know because that was when you were just gotten there. Well, actually, um, my teammate Misty Bass, who was a big part of our Players Association and was very um, vocal in having conversations with the rest of the teams in the league on, you know, the stance that we were going to take and the the type of voice we wanted to have in the communities that we serve. Phoenix, uh, D.C., New York, um, Minnesota, um, a couple other teams, you know, they made that we did the shirt thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Misty and I, um, we were two of the people who are very vocal in the, the fines. You know, you're going to find us right, $5,000 yeah. a team, $500 a shirt. Um, that was something that even in that happening and in, in, in that being something that Misty and I pushed very heavily, um, our teammates were cool with that. No one was upset about the fines. We all talked about it. Everybody was okay with it. The fines were rescinded. Um, I didn't tell anyone that I planned on kneeling. Um, my mom didn't know. Um, my girlfriend didn't know. No one, no one knew. I told no one that I was going to kneel because I didn't want anyone to, one, try to stop me from doing it. And for two... I didn't want, I just didn't want anybody's opinion about it. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't feel that I needed to explain myself and, and I wasn't, 
I wasn't in a place where I really wanted to hear, well, this might be the consequence of, or anything like that, because I was going to do it regardless. So I might as well not even listen to that part. Right. What was the reaction from your teammates and from fans? You know, for a very long time, no one kind of even noticed because I I lined up at the very end of the line because I was new there. So I just got in where I fit in at the yeah. end of the line. So a lot of times I remember um, someone interviewing my coach, Sandy Brondello, and asking her about it. And she, she had no idea that I had been kneeling. And this was like game four at that wow. time. Like she didn't even know. Wow. Um, and, and I'll say this about my time in Phoenix. The, the best organization ever i mean no one made me feel any type of way about it they were very supportive no one asked me to stop it, it no one ever even mentioned it to me actually um i remember being at penny taylor's retirement dinner and sue bird saying something to me about good job kneeling kills and oh, sandy wow. you know she tells me the story of yeah I, I didn't even know you were doing it until they asked me the other day good job kills and, and that was that was it um, you know, the fans, I got a lot of support from fans on Twitter um, in the beginning. And then right around the playoffs, um, a lot of backlash started to come, you know. Um, I think our first game was Indiana versus the Phoenix Mercury. And we, you know, it was either Penny's last game or Tamika's last game. And there was this whole big thing about, you know, if I were to kneel, it would be the most disrespectful thing I could do um, to such legends in the game. And then the entire Phoenix Mercury, I mean, the, the entire Indiana Fever team takes a knee. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, eh, you know, yeah. I was I was told that I was looking for attention. You know, I was doing this for this and all kinds of stuff. And no, that was never my agenda. That was never my motive. That was never I, I never had anything other than I. I, there's a there's a young black boy in this world that belongs to me. Obviously, the infant protests have been reignited. There were some players who were still continuing them, but with Trump's comments, they were reignited. And I saw you post on Instagram um, a picture of you kneeling last year, and you said they told me I was just looking for attention. 365 days later, everybody's awake. Mm -hmm. What has it been like seeing this movement reignited and do you think that the conversation is getting away from where it started and where it needs to be um you know initially um when i initially saw the clip of trump um saying you know what he said calling the players sobs and things like that I, my initial knee-jerk reaction was i hope every player of color kneels tomorrow but i do understand i'm i'm a I'm a big proponent of do what do what's for you. Everybody's not comfortable with kneeling. Some people might want to lock arms. Some people might just can put their their hand on your shoulder and show support and solidarity for your cause. Yeah. But the issue I have with the situation is that the narrative has completely shifted. We're no longer talking about the social injustice and the inequalities of people of color being shot at and killed by the police and the police getting away with it at alarming rates. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about Donald Trump. And I know that I can't be the only person in this country that is tired of talking about what Donald Trump has said. You're definitely not. I can, there's another <laughs> one know, right it, here. It, yeah. It, 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 I, it's literally driven me to a headache the past few days. Like I don't want to have conversations about it anymore. 
that's not what it was about to begin with. There's no disrespect to the flag. It, you know, when you protest something, the best way to do it is you do it in a way where that's going to get people's attention. Colin Kaepernick just wanted people to start talking. He just he wasn't being disrespectful to to the military, to vets, to to the to to anybody, to the flag. He wanted to spark a conversation. He didn't say he was going to kneel forever. He just wanted to spark the conversation. Now, this man doesn't have a job anymore, and we can kind of all say what we want to say about it, but he doesn't have a job because he's caused all this trouble. Okay, he's okay with that. When you when you step out and you, you lead the charge, there's a lot of consequences that come with that, and I'm pretty sure that Colin Ka- Kaepernick weighed those consequences before he took a knee. But I feel like we've definitely gotten away from what this was about. How do we get back? How, how do athletes get, get that conversation back? When you, when you, because, you know, we've all seen the, you know, every athlete that's kneeled just about or that's done something has made a post on social media. Um, and you have to, you have to push that narrative. You can't, you can't talk about inclusiveness and, 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 and we're all doing this together and we're united because this is not a united front just yet. We are not united, unfortunately. We are not united. We are, this is not a, a, a movement of unity. This is a movement of alarm. Hello, wake up. Do you see us? Do you hear us? We are not trying to go back to where we've come from. Just to, f- to finish things up, we've got about a minute, but okay. you weren't in the WNBA this year, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to ask, why didn't we see you this year? Are you okay? And uh, are we going to hopefully see you again back in the States next year? Um, you know, I am definitely still a basketball player first. Um, I did not play this summer. I got a chance to start my own hair company, Halo Hair. Um, it's an, it's an extension company. And, you know, after being traded last year, going through a couple of situations and bouts with the Connecticut Sun of, you know, hmm, maybe I want to be traded. You know, I know in my, my great year with most improved and being an all-star, Chanel Gumake was hurt. I knew coming back, that was another another body that would clog the paint. I knew there was going to be, you know, a log jam. I'd ask for a trade at the end of that season, only to be told, you know, we're going to do some things different. Got a new coach coming in, just give it a chance. And, you know, I tried that. And, and it wasn't something that, you know, Coach Miller wanted a post player that shot the three. He wanted one that, you know, could space the floor. And that's just not my game. Yeah. Um, and, and we parted ways. Um, and, and, and I was okay with that. And I thought they were okay with that. And I thought everybody, you know, live, would live happily ever after. Shortly, you know, thereafter, the rumblings of, you know, well, now the chemistry is so much better and the locker room is such a, such a better place to be in. I, I was confused. Um, because I wasn't the only person unhappy or disgruntled. I just might have been the only person who was willing to say, hey, I am. So you're saying you, once you were in Phoenix, you started hearing that everyone in Connecticut was happier with you gone, essentially, that the Absolutely. chemistry was better. I mean, essentially, that was the narrative that was being pushed, you know, that I had been a cancer in the locker room and all of those things. And 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 I'll be honest, I'll be the first to say that I, I was hurt by that. Th- yeah. Those are things that that are career ending in a lot of senses. And, and, and it was something that was just downright not true. Um, and so in understanding, you know, what the, the Phoenix Mercury were doing and moving forward and, you know, hey, Brittany Griner is their, their post player. And unfortunately for myself, we play the same position. And, you know, they needed me to be looking to be more of a four. That's a very, very, very hard position to play in the WNBA, if not the hardest. Um, and 
that wasn't something I was willing to just walk into blindly having never done it before. So, you know, I took my chances and, and I, I was under the impression and hoping that free agency would work for me. Um, and it didn't because of the rumblings and the things that had been said. And I understood that and I was okay with going and working on myself as a person, as a basketball player and, and stepping away from the game and, and, and just falling back in love with me and basketball all over again so that I can be the best player that I can be for myself moving forward. And so hopefully you've gotten a a summer of rejuvenation under your belt. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're going back overseas now. And then, you know, I hope that we'll see you uh, next summer back in the league and maybe, maybe still taking a knee and still taking a stand. And I know you'll keep speaking up about uh, social justice and, and, holding people accountable because that's what we've got to do absolutely listen thank you so much for joining us kelsey it was a pleasure to talk to you and uh hopefully we'll talk again soon thank you Lindsay, and you have a good one you too as many of you know the caribbean has been hit with tremendous tragedy jess do you want to take this away Yeah, there's a lot to say here. Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico, which is a commonwealth of the United States. The island now has no electricity. They may not have it for months. I just think we shall sit with that. Like for four months, the island may not have electricity. Much of their water is undrinkable. There's putrid water just sitting in the streets. About 80% of the crop value is gone. You know, they're losing millions of dollars, like hundreds of millions of dollars. More than 3.4 million people live in Puerto Rico, but only a slim majority of Americans even realize that Puerto Ricans are actually Americans too. Being part of a commonwealth means that Puerto Ricans have no representation in the electoral college. so They can't vote in general presidential elections unless they have residency in another state. Most people in Puerto Rico don't pay federal income taxes, but they do pay Social Security, Medicare, import, export, and commodity taxes. Their federal tax bill adds up to more than $3 billion a year. They do have a delegate in the House of Representatives, but that representative can't vote on the House floor. So Maria also devastated other Caribbean islands, such as Dominica and the U.S. territory, the U.S. United States Virgin Islands, which, of course, were also hit very hard by Hurricane Irma. According to a recent report from BuzzFeed News, the U.S. Air Mobility Command says it's flown in 1,100 tons of aid and supplies to the region, including pallets of water and FEMA support. Quote, the National Guard and Army have erected tent cities on two large fields on St. Thomas and massive ships are floating in docks visibly loaded to the brim with crates and supplies. But, quote, BuzzFeed News did not see a military or local authority presence while touring most of the neighborhoods in St. Thomas or parts of St. John. And residents say it's because of a lack of communication between local leaders and federal reserves. So there's this discussion happening right now about, like, what these islands need and what the government says it's doing and what people on the ground say is actually happening. And, of course, the response to the damage in the Caribbean has been different than what happened in response to the devastation in Texas and Florida. And with Puerto Rico in particular, it's gotten really nasty this week, as does anything that relates to Trump at this point. So last week, the acting Homeland Security Secretary Elaine Duke said she was, quote, very satisfied with the government's response. And that led to the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, saying, quote, this is, damn it, this is not a good news story. This is a people are dying story. This is a life or death story. There's a truckload of stuff that cannot be taken to people story. This is a story of devastation that continues to worsen. 
Okay, so then Trump decides he's going to manage this by taking to Twitter to trash Puerto Rico and its citizens. The president of the United States did this. He he wrote, quote, the mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago. I feel like we should have like a really nasty voice. We read these. (laughs) Has now been told by the Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. Such poor leadership ability by the mayor of San Juan and others in Puerto Rico who are not able to get their workers to help. They want everything to be done for them. Talk about dog whistle here. When it should be a community effort, 10,000 federal workers now on island doing a fantastic job. As Kim Kardashian noted on Twitter in response to this, quote, they don't have power to watch the news. Please stop tweeting and golfing while people are dying. Please step up and help. Okay. Kim Kardashian owned Trump about Puerto Rico. So we are talking about all this on Burn It All Down today because one of the groups who've responded with compassion and for pushes and relief are athletes. So before Maria hit Tim Duncan, who some of us on this podcast like. We won't mention swooning, Trina swooning right now. You know, all around good guy, Tim Duncan. He launched a relief fund for the U.S. Virgin Islands, which was his, is his home. He's raised more than $2.8 million. Monica Puig, the gold medalist tennis player from Puerto Rico, wrote a piece at Sports Illustrated to her fellow Puerto Ricans. She's also started a fund. NBA star Carmelo Anthony wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune in which he said, quote, I'm half Puerto Rican and I'm proud of it. Puerto Ricans are my people, but this is about more than that. Puerto Ricans are are our fellow Americans. Puerto Ricans are our fellow man. They need our help. He also has a fund. Jorge Posada, he's a former MLB catcher who played for 17 seasons, currently lives in Miami. He also wrote about this. It's a really impactful piece because he wrote about the devastation of Puerto Rico as told to him by his parents who lived there. So, quote, as he was driving, my dad kept telling me about the detours he had to take because a bunch of roads were blocked or covered with debris or just completely flooded. And every few seconds, I'd hear this gasp. Sometimes it would be him, other times my mom. Then he'd tell me about some building with half its walls missing or a car that was completely underwater or some other level of destruction that he never thought he'd experience in his lifetime. Posada also has a fund that he's created. And then there's former Canadian national soccer team goalkeeper Karina LeBlanc, who grew up on Dominica, and she's partnered with UNICEF because there's now an estimated 20,000 children who are at risk in the aftermath of Maria. On Dominica, over 90% of the structures, 90% of the structures have significant damage. We're going to put all the links to their fundraising efforts in the description of the show and in the show links. But, you know, I don't know, Shereen, I just keep thinking, God bless the athletes. <laughs> no, absolutely. And then for do the, to do this and to speak so personally. And, I mean, not just because he's Tim Duncan, but Tim Duncan is actually not on social media. He's not on Twitter. He's not on Facebook for specific reasons. That's yeah, not his it's thing. Even, he's very private. Yeah. Out. And we talked about this previously on a, another episode about his piece for the Players' Tribune. And coming out is not his thing. It's not easy for him to do, but this is such crisis. This is unbelievable. And Karina LeBlanc's tweets last week and just a couple days ago, she hadn't heard from her grandmother. Like I'm getting shivers Mm. and she's tweeting this. Like I haven't heard. And every day I'm like, did she hear from her grandma? Like, did she hear from her yet? And finally, I believe it was Friday. She did get a chance to talk to her grandmother. And these are athletes who have platforms and who have privilege, but they're so, they bear themselves and their emotion and their sadness and their worry and their anxiety about their homes and their, their family and their friends and their communities. It's really incredible the amount of stuff that's happening. And I really, really hope 
that you know people you know take heed and understand these these crises and it also draws attention that i mean i can't even i don't even know how to begin addressing and jesse already did such a great job about talking about trump he's just exhausting the press conference of the mayor of san juan i watched it and it was she's crying in it like she can't even contain her emotions so for him to criticize her is just it's 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 almost it's staggering to me that he has no idea what she's going through at all and has no compassion or empathy like this is the president he has no empathy at all for these people and the narrative that i find really upsetting is that constantly and you see fights on twitter or fights back and forth in media about who is considered an american and I know it, that for me is really upsetting. And one of my. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's all steeped in this like horrific history of, you know, of empire and colonialism. And, you know, we got we got is, you know, talk about captive language of Puerto Rico back in the late 19th century from Spain. And we've left it as a commonwealth. They don't have the rights. of. I mean, it's the legal stuff with. Puerto Rico and like where the constitution counts and when it doesn't is is a gray area <laughs> because of their legal status and I don't know there's just so much about it that's horrible but specifically that it that it is so being treated like a lesser version of this country like and then Trump keeps saying something about how it's hard to get stuff there because of the ocean is so big and I just like <laughs> I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. I uh, Gina Rodriguez, I, who's one of my favorite actresses. Like, I love this show, Jane the Virgin. She's, she's Puerto wonderful. Rican, and she tweeted, retweeted, or quote tweeted a tweet of, "It's unbelievable, Carmen Yulin Cruz, literally waist deep in water with a bullhorn, going out trying to find people." Yeah, like sewage water. Yes, and <laughs> he's saying, "Oh, she's not a great." She's not a great leader. Um, that's exactly what a great leader does. Like I just I saw that and it brought tears to my eyes because the effects, like you said, of of devastation, of flooding, the amount of bacteria and viruses that travel through water. There's children. There's vulnerable. There's aged who are at risk. This is a huge crisis, like one of epic proportions. And you know, and and in the meantime, in between going after athletes and you know go chasing down jerry jones to make sure the team is standing he's barely got time to deal with it it's just it's ridiculous now it's time for everyone's favorite segment and ours the burn pile jessica do you want to start (laughs) us off yeah i mean it's it's hard at this point to even pick and then i will just say like you know, there's such big things that feel like they should be burning all the time. But I don't know. So I was out of the country for most of this week. And I only was kind of paying attention to what was happening because I could. So I took the advantage of that. But this one just just sort of struck me. So Dawn Staley, who I love, she's the head women's basketball coach of the champion South Carolina team. She told the Associated Press this week, quote, we haven't gotten an invitation yet to the White House, she's talking about. And that in itself speaks volumes. We won before those other teams won their championships. I don't know what else has to happen. So the South Carolina women's basketball team has not been invited to the White House. And famously, Trump 
has invited lots of other teams. He has rescinded the Golden State Warriors <laughs> invitation after Steph Curry said he would be voting to not go. Clemson, the college football champs, the New England Patriots, who won the Super Bowl, and the Chicago Cubs, who won the World Series, they've all gone already. And as we talked about earlier, the Pittsburgh Penguins are planning on going. The North Carolina men's basketball team, they said they won't visit the White House, but that's because of a scheduling conflict. A team spokesman said the Tar Heels were willing to go, but the university and White House tried eight or nine dates and none of them worked. The office of United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley, who's a former South Carolina governor, and and she and Staley seem to have a pretty warm relationship, she says an invitation will come later this fall. The White House hasn't said anything about it. You know, Staley has said she's not sure the team would go if they got an invitation, but that's not even the point. This administration and the campaign that preceded it, it's just an ongoing example of misogyny in action and all of the overt and subtle forms that that can come in. The NCAA Women's Basketball Champions have been invited to the White House for 33 years. Staley shouldn't have to say these comments in order to force the issue. I know in the scheme of things, like, this is a really small one, but it just feels like that death by a thousand paper cuts thing at this point. It's all so exhausting, and I just want to burn it. Burn. We have talked about the immense sexism and struggles of the Brazilian women's football team on this podcast. And, you know, I defer usually to Brenda, who's not here this week, but I did want to mention I, and my addition to the burn pile is sexism and struggle that is forced upon those players in that federation. Just a couple of days ago, Christine, she's a Brazilian woman's legend, left a message on YouTube and it was retweeted by Julie Foodie. She said that she's quitting football because she's absolutely exhausted by the system. And I watched her video, which is about nine minutes, and it's in Portuguese, but there's subtitles. And she's shaking in a, in a, a little because she's nervous. and But she's also unbelievably poised in a different way because she's speaking her truth. And it's so hard because you she's she's part of a legend legendary system of women that have constantly had to fight against sexism, lack of support, lack of financial. And this was triggered by the recent firing of Emily Lima, who was the first woman to be a coach for the team for the Selecao, the the women's side. And it was she was hired in 2016, and I know that we talked about her, and Brenda had mentioned her as the baddest woman of the week, I believe, or an honorable mention, and she was let go. And part of Christine's critique was that, and I'm quoting her in English from the thing from the video, was that it was felt like a bucket of cold water was thrown on mm. the team, and out of the athletes on the mm. team, 26 of the players signed a request to keep the coaching staff there because they were just tired by it. And following Christine, who was about three days ago, midfielder Fran and defender Rosana, they also left the team. At this point, Marta, who is like the legendary Orlando Pride player, and she played in Europe. She's, you know, been labeled as, and I believe probably one of the greatest women's players of all time. She is still with the team. And she left an Instagram video of saying that she would stay there and she was saddened by her teammates leaving. But when you listen to what Christine said, she was talking about and addressing the fact that Emily Lima was let go. She says, was it because she was a woman? You know, and she said that she felt that the request that she and her teammates had They were never heard. She also criticized the fact that the women's team jerseys are not for sale anywhere in Brazil. 
And the oh. men's cider, and I remember because I was there two years ago and I looked specifically for a Marta jersey. I couldn't find one anywhere. That is, that, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, so it's like, exactly. It was, it's so frustrating to see this and to see her say that she just doesn't, she can't fight anymore. She can't do it. And hopefully as a former athlete, she'll be able to change because for 17 years, Christine has been with this team and she's pushed back and she's tried as have former coaches it's to no avail and to exhaust an athlete with so much passion and talent to push them away from the beautiful game and the women's game, the exquisite game is so upsetting. I just want to torch it all. Burn it, burn it, burn it. After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women this week with our Badass Woman of the Week segment. Jessica, you want to take this one? Yeah, the Badass Woman of the Week are the Minnesota Lynx and LA Sparks, the two WNBA teams playing in the finals. They've put on another truly spectacular series this year. The Sparks beat the Lynx 85-84 in Game (laughs) 1. The Lynx beat the Sparks 70-68 in Game 2. The Sparks beat the Lynx 75-64 in Game 3. So now the Sparks only need one more game to have back-to-back championships. That could happen tonight. We're recording on Sunday. If the Lynx pull out the win, though, Game 5 will be on Wednesday night. And we want to give an honorable mention to the Lynx Lindsay Whalen for buying hundreds of tickets so young people could attend the finals for free. It's amazing. Another honorable mention to Alhamra Nevis of Spain and Ireland's Joy Neville, and they're set to be they're set to officiate two matches in October, and as such will make history as rugby's first ever female referees to take charge of men's international matches. So we're really, really looking forward to that and congratulations to them. Jess, what are you looking forward to this week and what's good? Yeah, well, what's good is that I just spent a week in Berlin, Germany, and I loved every second of it. Berliners eat a bunch of bread for breakfast, which is so great. So, like, you can find pastries everywhere. The city is remarkable, just, like, all the history that's there. And we walked so much. We had so much fun just walking around the city. We ended up, by accident, in an Oktoberfest celebration in Alexanderplatz, and it was amazing. I just, it was such a good week, and one of the things that was really good was we had I had downloaded all these shows to watch while we were there at nighttime and we got totally into the show called Poldark, which is a PBS, a masterpiece theater series. I think it's actually a British show that they bring over. So I'm one hundred percent obsessed with Poldark and season three actually starts tonight, so I'm like obsessively watching season two so I can get ready. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention because especially because I get to go first on the what's good, <laughs> is that I just got in the mail when I got home from Berlin in the mail was Lou Moore, who we've already mentioned. He has a new book. You can get it right now. It's called Quote, I Fight for a Living, Boxing in the Battle for Black Manhood, eighteen eighty to nineteen fifteen. And I'm gonna humble brag right now that I was lucky enough to read P pieces of this book while he was drafting it and those pieces were fantastic every time he asked me if I would be willing to you know just read through something I was so thrilled because it's such an interesting topic and he's such a good writer so I'm looking forward to reading Lou's new book that's awesome I have been getting it's been a bit of a busy week and to help sort of battle all the you know, sort of barrage of Islamic, lovely Islamic phobic, misogynist comments that I'm used to getting on everything. I happened to write a piece criticizing 
hockey's golden boy, Sidney Crosby, and then write a piece on consent <laughs> and talking about rape and sex with my kids. So you can imagine <laughs> the pushback. So I got kitten pictures. I'm a lover. Oh, I did. I, and there's a couple of kittens that are up for adoption. And I'm hoping my husband doesn't listen to this particular part of the podcast because I'm really I'm actually underground trying to negotiate, like trying to get a kitten. So this is kind of what's happening Ooh. for me. I know. And he'll be like, no, because we lost our beloved tuna mm. a couple of months ago. And I think that me, I don't, I'm not even telling my kids at this point, I'm just going to sort of make this executive decision about getting a beautiful little kitten. So if you're out there, keep sending me baby animal pictures because I love them. And Justin, and I actually have a corresponding what's good. Lou Moore's other book, because he's amazing and has two. Another one is called We Will Win the Day. The Civil Rights Movement, The Black Athlete, and The Quest for Equality is also out today, and we will tweet that. Is it really? It is, and you can, pre- you can pre-order, actually. Sorry, I'm not, when I mean it's out, it's out for purchase, oh. so we can pre-order that. So we both have Lou Moore books on our What's Good that we're looking <laughs> forward to. I'm kind of annoyed at Lou for being that kind of, that productive. Uh, I know, right? It's kind of annoying. He's also a professor of history. Know, right. Like, it's not like he's geez. not doing anything. In the meantime, he's writing an amazing article. That's exciting. So that's, that's exciting. that is really exciting. So, and I didn't know you pre-read the book, and that's kind of awesome, Jess. So only little pieces of it, but they're all good. That's it for this week in Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate to let us know how we did and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, and check out our new Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. You can also email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com and check out our website www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you'll also find a link to our GoFundMe campaign. We would appreciate any consideration for contributions so we can keep doing the work we love and keep burning what needs to be burned. On behalf of Jessica Luther and myself, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Hey, hey, the spire, the spire.